I've told some of you this uh, story before, you've heard it before, but um, when I was 12 years old, I moved to a new school. So I moved at the beginning of my year seven. And, uh, you know, year seven's a big year in the life of a young person. And I was desperate to fit into this new school, um, which didn't happen very easily for me. Um, it was a small school and they're already sort of, you know, kind of groups, little cliques of people. And I just it wasn't accepted into any of them. And, and I, I was really desperate to fit in somewhere. And so when a couple of the guys uh, invited me to join them badging cars on the weekend, I went, I'm in. Uh, this sounds great. You know, anything that got me in with the guys. Now, some of you don't know what badging cars is. Um, in the old days, oh, they still have them a bit, but in the old days, cars had, uh, uh, had proper metal, the badges, you know, that said Mercedes or Toyota or whatever on the cars. And see, you're smiling, you know where this is going. And so we would go around with screwdrivers and we would take those off. Um, steal them, uh, basically. And the promise was that you could sell these things and make heaps of money. And uh, no one, I don't think anyone in our group ever sold one of these things. I don't think there was any money that was ever had. But we ended up with a great collection of, of badges um, until one of the guys got caught. And of course, as all 12 year olds do, like, you know, you think in the movies he's going to hold out. Well, he didn't. He just folded, right? And uh, he just named everyone. And uh, the short story is that, um, uh, that I was uh, charged by the police, uh, you know, kind of arrested and charged by the police, charged with a couple of things, as it turns out. Um, and so there I am uh, as a 12 year old with a criminal record. This is a true story. And uh, don't worry, the criminal record disappears when I'm 18. I can legally say I don't have a criminal record now. But when you're 12 years old and you, you, someone tells you you're going to have a criminal record until you're 18, it's like forever, you know, when you're 12, it seems like the rest of your life. All of a sudden, my stupidity had a cost, you know, and all of a sudden I had this label, I had this thing that I was carrying and I felt sick and I felt stupid and I felt angry and I felt condemned, you know, condemned, that, I, that, that, that thing that happens when you're accused of something, found guilty of something and punished for something sort of all gets wrapped up in this word condemned. Now, maybe you've never been accused uh, uh, and charged with criminal charges, but I bet lots of us know what it feels like to feel condemned. You know, maybe for you, it's kids at school deciding that you're not cool enough to be in their group. And so you kind of get that, that condemned stamp. You know, you're condemned to be out of this group, to be on your own. Maybe it's someone at work deciding that you're not fit for a promotion. You know, that you're always going to stay at that level. And you've got that feeling like, I'm, I'm stuck here, I'm no good. Maybe it's friends or family or someone else in your life who's just looked at you and, and, and said either directly with words or made it clear that you just don't measure up. You know, you're just not good enough. That there's a bar somewhere and you don't meet that expectation. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's a horrible feeling to, to, to have someone look at you and say, you're not good enough. To have someone look at you and say, you don't measure up. Sadly, sadly, lots of people think that's the way God looks at them. 
Sadly, lots of people have a picture of God as some sort of angry, mean policeman or some sort of mean, nasty school principal who sort of sits up in the sky uh, with a stick and a little black book and he's kind of looking down on people. And when he sees you, he just sort of shakes his head and says, that one's not good enough. You know, put, put, put her in the not good enough basket. Put a black mark next to his name. We feel like God has looked at us and not, like God has already decided that we don't measure up. That whatever God's, whatever God's good enough standard is, that we don't meet that. And there's nothing you can do about it. You, you, know, you feel like you've tried as hard as you can, but you're just never going to be good enough. And you have that sickly feeling of being condemned, being accused, being found guilty, being punished. And like I did at 12 years old, feeling like you're kind of wearing this label that you'll never get rid of. We're starting a new series in this church um, that we're calling November, right? Which I thought was a really cool title, um, but no one else does, obviously. Um, we're starting a series we're calling November, and and I want to be honest: like most people outside the church and some of us inside the church wouldn't be surprised at all that a church is doing a series called November because, like, that's all the church does, isn't it? Like, we just say no to things. That's kind, of what, that's kind of what the church is all about. You know, God is in the business of saying, don't do this and don't do that. And the church is in the business of saying, God doesn't like this and God doesn't like that and God doesn't like you and God doesn't like you. So to be honest, the idea that a church is doing a series called November is a bit like, well, of course you are because that's what you do. And I want to tell you, I think that's really sad. In fact, I, I think that's more than sad. I think that is tragic because while there's some truth behind some of the things uh, that the church might say no to the picture of God in the Bible the picture that Jesus paints of God the picture that Jesus paints of himself is a long long way from that image of a mean policeman or a nasty school principal apologies to policemen and school principals (laughs) So what we're going to do in this series, in this month of November, is we're going to flip some of those ideas. We're going to flip some of that thinking. We're going to look at some of the things that God says no to that I think are more important in our lives and more important in our world than that list of don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And the first big no that we're going to look at today is when God says no condemnation. No condemnation. Now, and I recognise that might seem a bit crazy to some people because it's like, what do you mean no condemnation? Like condemnation is all that God does, isn't it? Like that's God's middle name. That's, you know, that's God's kind of primary job is to stand up there and to condemn uh, the wrong people, uh, to condemn the people that don't sort of meet the mark. That's what God and that's what the church are all about you know God likes the good people and the rest of us get judged and the rest of us get found guilty and the rest of us get condemned uh, to hell or to hell on earth or to kind of whatever you think is uh, is sort of the bad thing that God does to people that don't meet the mark but I want to tell you uh, today that if you've ever had any thoughts like that if you've ever had that sort of picture of God I've got good news for you 
Because what Jesus actually thinks about you is very, very different from that. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He travelled with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He heard him talk. He heard him teach. He watched him die. And he watched him. He saw him rise from the dead. Years later, decades later, John would write a biography of the life of Jesus. As John gets to be an old man, he spent his life recounting and telling the stories of the things that he saw Jesus do, the things that he heard Jesus say. And as he gets to the end of his life, he realises that he will soon die. And so he wants to write these things down. He wants to write an account of these things so that they will live on, so that they can be passed on after John dies. We've got a copy of that biography. It's in your Bibles. It's called the Gospel of John. You know, the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's that book. And in his biography of Jesus, John writes these words about Jesus. And you might have heard these before, at least half of them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen to the next sentence. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, John's message to us could not be clearer. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, to condemn people, but to save people. Didn't, Jesus didn't come uh, in the image of that uh, angry policeman or that nasty school principal trying to catch people doing the wrong things. Jesus came like the hero in the movie. You know, who rides into the, the camp of the bad guys and, uh, and overcomes the bad guys and, and, and busts the, the good guys out of prison and releases them and frees them and they ride off into the sunset together. That's John's picture of Jesus. Luke was another guy who wrote a biography of Jesus. And he tells us that Jesus' first public message went like this. He, talking about Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. That's kind of church language for, for Jesus went to church. That's kind of the, the, the closest that, that we could imagine in our modern day. Jesus goes to his church and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he unrolled it and he found the place in the scroll where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. 
It's like the original drop the mic moment, right? Jesus just, just stands up. He finds, we've actually got, um, you know, they didn't have a Bible the way that, that, uh, that we did. They have all these ancient writings on scrolls and they hand him the scroll uh, that Isaiah wrote. And it's actually, it's the book of Isaiah in our Bible. Those words are Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 61. You can read them today. And he unrolls it to these words and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolls it up, he hands it back to the attendant and he just sits down. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 20 says, The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's Bible language for today. Those words that were written 700 years ago came true. Far out. Imagine being there. How good would that have been? Jesus didn't come to earth to condemn people. He came to set people free and to save people. He came to offer mercy and love and grace and forgiveness, not judgment and punishment. I mean, that's why the message of Jesus was originally called good news. Even today, we talk about the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke and the gospel of John. <laughs> gospel is an ancient Greek word that literally means, that is literally translated as good news. You know, when people first read that stuff, when people first heard these stories, they said to themselves, this is good news. This is not something to be scared of or afraid of or, or to avoid. They read this and they said, really? This is awesome. So let me say as clearly as I can this morning. If you've got a picture of God where condemnation is all of what God is about, you don't have the picture of God that Jesus painted for you. God didn't send Jesus into the world to tell you that you're messed up, to tell you that you're not good enough and that you're going to hell. God sent Jesus into the world to save the world and to tell you that you are loved and that you are valuable, that you are worth dying for. That saving your life and bringing you into a perfect relationship with the Father is something worth dying for that's the message of Jesus that's the good news but I know that if you've been around church for a while and lots of us have in this place if you've been around church for a while it's easy to hear this whole no condemnation message and just go yeah yeah right it's easy to hear this and go that's such a cool idea right that's nice but I want to tell you that, that when, when Jesus spoke these words, when John wrote these words, they weren't writing something for it to be a nice idea. They weren't writing something that was supposed to go into your head and just lodge there as, wow, that's cool. 
They were writing something with the intention that if you would really get this, if you would really grasp this in your life, it would change the way that you live. Fundamentally, change the way that you see God, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see others around you. That's the intention of Jesus' message, that there is no condemnation. And I want to suggest to you that when, when people really get this, when you really get this, not just sort of in here in your head, but in here in your heart, three significant things happen in people's life. Three shifts, three changes happen to the way people live. The first is that you can now be completely honest with God. No more hiding, no more pretending, no more lying. You can be completely honest with God. The second is that you can come before God in things like worship and in prayer with a whole new kind of boldness and confidence. And the third thing that happens in people's lives is that you begin to accept other people in a brand new way. Without judgment, without condemnation, but with a kind of grace and love and mercy that is not common in our world. And I'll briefly unpack each of these in the time that I've got left. When you really get the message of no condemnation, you can then become completely honest with God. When you understand that God isn't looking to condemn you, but you realize that he loves you and accepts you and he sees you as valuable, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to avoid the truth about you because, well, if God finds out about this, I'm going to be in trouble. You know, the way that you do with the school principal thinking, if I hope they don't realize that I haven't done this homework assignment, you know? You can be completely honest and open and totally vulnerable with God because you know that he loves you. He's not there to condemn you. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend that you don't swear at school. You don't have to, to pretend that you never watch porn. You don't have to, to pretend that you're always nice to people and you always talk nice to people behind their backs. And we pretend like that with each other I kind of get the reasons why we might do that. But we don't have to be that way with God. We can be honest and say, God, this is who I am. And I get that it's messy and I get the parts of it are ugly. But Lord, I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to say, here I am. Would you please forgive me? I know I've failed. Would you help me? To change, would you? Would you help me? I know that you promised that in you I can become a new person. Would you make that happen in my life? You can be honest with God because you know that He's not going to look at you and say you are condemned. He's not going to look at you and say, "Really, you did that?" He's not going to look at you and say, "Well, I thought you were a good person, but I, I didn't know you were into that." I mean, he knows the truth about you anyway, right? So, you know, like, what are we really hiding? When you know and understand the message of no condemnation, it brings inside of you a kind of freedom. 
a kind of freedom where there's no more lying, there's no more hiding, there's no more pretending. You can share your deepest, darkest secrets with God because he loves you and he won't condemn you. He's here to free you and to save you and give you a new life and a new purpose, not to stand there with a big stick and say, you're in trouble now. No condemnation means complete honesty with a God who loves you no matter what and who came not to condemn you but to save you and to free you. That's the first change that happens when people really get this idea of no condemnation. The second thing that happens is that people are released into a new boldness and confidence in the way that they worship and the way that they pray. When you you understand the message of no condemnation, when you know that you are accepted and loved no matter what, then you can come before God in worship and in prayer with confidence and boldness because you know that God wants to listen to you. Because the truth is, and we don't often say this in church, but the truth is lots of us pray small prayers and we worship kind of quietly. Because deep inside of us, there's a part of us that imagines that God is really looking at us going, "Eh, really? You did all that and now you're going to ask me for this? Who are you kidding? You know, you're doing that on the weeknight alone in your bedroom and now you're going to stand here and go, yeah, I love God and all that? Really? But when you know that God doesn't condemn you, when you know that God is reaching out to you with love and grace, you can worship and you can pray with a kind of boldness and a confidence because you know that really God is saying, that's awesome, come on. You know, like a father, come on. Give me more. I just want to hear you. I just want to be with you. I just love you so much. It releases you into a confidence and a boldness in the way that you worship and in the way that you pray. And I pray that today someone in this place is going to get released in their prayer life with a new kind of boldness. I pray today that someone's going to get released in their worship life with a new kind of confidence. Not because you're more bold or you're more confident, but because you recognize who God is and you understand that he looks at you and he says, no condemnation. Stepping into a new confidence and a new boldness and a freedom in prayer and worship because you know you're not condemned. The third thing that happens when people really get this message of no condemnation is that you begin to accept other people in a totally different way. Because when you've experienced no condemnation, when you've experienced the saving love of Jesus in your life, when you've experienced God's acceptance in spite of your sin and your shame and your failure and your mess and all of those thoughts that go around in our mind that we wish no one, we hope no one ever finds out about, when you've experienced God love, God's love in spite of all of that stuff, you look at other people differently. Because you realise that God hasn't condemned them 
either. Right? Instead of looking at the failure and the mess in their life and thinking, well, you, you know, you realise that actually their failure and their mess and their shortcomings are really not very different than yours. You know, they might have a different colour or a different flavour, but you recognise that we are all messed up, that we are all, uh, you know, that we all fail, that we all fall short. And so you begin to see people with the same kind of love and acceptance with which God sees you. John uh, said it best when he said in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Understanding no condemnation is how the church moves from judging the world to loving the world. Understanding no condemnation is how Christian people, how followers of Jesus move from looking down on other people to accepting and loving on other people. It's how the church becomes known for love and grace and generosity and hospitality and freedom instead of judgment and meanness and nastiness. That, let's be really honest, sadly characterises much of the church in our world today. When we understand the message, God's message to us of no condemnation, it changes the way that we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see God and it changes the way that we see other people. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just a feel-good message. You know, it's not just something that you put on the coffee cup or, or stick on the bumper of your car. It's a truth that changes the way that you see everything. No condemnation was a core message of Jesus. And we've decided it's going to be a core message of this church. But no condemnation really is an invitation. Really, no condemnation is an invitation for us to stop hiding and to come to Jesus. It's an invitation to accept his gift of forgiveness and new life. It's an invitation for us to hand over the sin and the mess that we call life and to say, I've tried doing it my way and it doesn't work. I want to do it your way. Take my sin and my failure and the ugliness in my life. Lord, I repent of that. And I accept your forgiveness for those things. I accept what you've done on the cross and I accept your gift of new life. That's the invitation of no condemnation, right? It's seeing God not as that angry policeman and nasty school principal, but of seeing God as a loving father, standing there with his arms open wide, saying, come to me. I just want to love on you. I just want you to be my children again, that I can be your father and you can be my children. 